Adam, we had the amazing opportunity to speak with Wes Davenport and Todd Goodwin of UMG's 1824 division over a Zoom video. This is such a rad interview, definitely a different perspective on the music industry coming straight from the people that are supporting the bands, signing the bands, all of the behind the scene work that comes with supporting an artist. These guys are the masters of. So they talk all about how they got into music originally. There are different backgrounds and journeys in this industry, how they met, the creation of Publicity Vertical, what it is, all about the 1824 division at Universal Music and the impact they are making. Again, you're going to learn so much from these two, especially if you want to get involved, get into this industry in any capacity. You can learn something from both Todd and Wes. And you can watch the interview with both of them on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be rad if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Wes Davenport and Todd Goodwin of UMG's 1824 division. Let's get into it. So this is obviously about you guys and we'll talk about how you met and, and what's going on with 1824 and, and everything else. But so Todd, where were you born and raised? I, well, it's funny. I was born in Port Arthur, Texas, uh, not raised there, but Port Arthur, I don't know if you know, it's kind of like a factory town, like very East part of Texas. And, you know, it's like Janis Joplin and a few others, Edgar Winter, like, you know, the, that's kind of like the lineage of people that come from Port Arthur and, uh, okay. You know, I, I left when I was like three, um, you know, bounced around Texas a little bit and ended up in San Antonio. Like oh, okay. and San Antonio is where I kind of grew up and, and graduated high school. And, you know, I went to college a little bit, uh, you know, bounced around, went to two different colleges, but like kind of landed at Texas State, which is just south of Austin, a little mm -hmm. bit north of San Antonio. And Texas State had a really great radio station at the time. And I kind of got involved in that and, you know, became the music director of that college station. Oh, wow. And, and it was really, um, through that, how I got into music because I was doing, you know, college radio and people were calling me every day to play their records. And I, and like one day at SS, I said, hold up, like, let's not talk about playing records right now. I want to talk about you. You do this for a living. People pay you to call me to get records played. Mm -hmm. And, and I started like really like picking their brain about like opportunities in music realized very quickly, none of them were in Texas. And that kind of opened my eyes to opportunity and, you know, ended up going to CMJ in New York, you know, my senior year and just really work on casting a wide net to kind of build relationships. And I had been going to South by Southwest every year because it was local. And, you know, at the time, like South by Southwest, I mean, it's different now because like it's, it's grown so much with like tech and, the other verticals that have really solidified, you know, South by Southwest is this amazing like tech and music and film and et cetera. But, you know, it started it was really, you know, music focused. So, you know, I remember like I would like grab my Marantz, you know, those like tape recorders that have the mic attached to it. Oh, and, yeah. I'd be like running up to like every artist on, on the street. Hey, can I get an interview? Can I get a drop from my station? Can I, you sure. know, <clears throat> just like, you know, going straight up to people, you know, like and and that was just like my love of music. And I remember chopping those up in the studio and, and, you know, having and following up with the artists, get them like on air interviews, things like that. And uh, through that, I met some amazing people, you know, managers, artists, um, 
you know, label folks and like the label team was really kind of like what led to me getting a full-time job. I'd met like some folks, you know, at uh, Sony music that were like, had a really good uh, local presence in Austin at the time, you know, there used to be a more localized approach to like, you know, music and music distribution and major music companies. And um, I kind of like, was heading towards graduating, was working at Waterloo Records, you know, as like a clerk, which is like, you know, still in my mind, you know, best record store in the country. But I was doing that and, you know, I'd gotten a job working part-time for Columbia Records, you know, while still a student. And, you know, it was like a, it's kind of like a club promotion and kind of street marketing job, but I kind of treated it like it was a full-time thing and got to know like the key players that ran the team and, and, you know, through all that, got some recommendations, ended up working in radio promotion as an assistant for Sony Music in Dallas. And did that for a few years, led to a marketing job, field marketing, did that for a couple of years, ended up in Atlanta, where my whole job was dealing with independent record stores and, you know, managing the co-op and the money that flows into them to support our releases, but also setting up all the events that involved independent retail. So like every week was like, in in store with some new developing artist oh, and wow. that was like that was a dream because like so many of these artists like were just you know they were kind of on the way up and you were like getting to like really you know get involved with them very early on um and that was kind of you know put me on the radar because i was like man i was doing this job as a regional reporting to new york uh, but my focus is really on like, you know, emerging artists. So how can I continue to push my career in a way where I, where my main focus will be these new signings and Sony music had like this legendary college department and I'd gotten to know the guy running it, uh, this guy, uh, Frank DeSico. And he, you know, one day it wasn't even an interview. It was like, he called me, he goes, Hey, we've got some changes in the department. You know, do you want to move to New York? And I was like, yeah, let's just do it. Pick <laughs> up, you know, and and uh, I didn't have a lot, so it was easy. And, mm -hmm. you know, moved to New York and kind of worked in the system there closely with like Columbia and Epic and, you know, really kind of like looking after their, you know, approach to like marketing to students really. Mm -hmm. um, but in doing so and kind of like going to all those label meetings and seeing how business is really done at the label level and like be kind of being just integrated into like, Columbia, for example, I mean, they like, we just became part of their family, their team. I um, quickly realized, man, like there was so much that wasn't getting done. You know, there was so much opportunity and everything we were doing, because, you know, streaming had become a major player, Spotify had launched, like, you know, Apple had, had, had become a major player, Amazon, Pandora, everybody's getting into the streaming game and, and uh, everything was kind of dependent on, whether or not like this key demographic is going to adopt, you know, your artist. And if that doesn't happen, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be curtains, you know, it's hard to develop unless you're like really cutting through the clutter. And, you know, like I kind of thought a lot about the importance of storytelling, the importance of like, just the energy that, you know, someone who's new to the industry brings like that kind of wide eyed approach to like anything is possible. And, you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm two decades into working in the music and I still believe that every day when I go to work, I believe that everything is possible, you know, until like, you know, people can tell me a real, a million reasons why, like you can't do something, but you know, like you, you find cracks, you know, the lights going through somewhere and you just walk towards the light and you get around it and you're on your way. But, um, you know, I had 
gotten a call one day after being at Sony for a long time and it was Michelle Anthony and, and, uh, she was, you know, wanted to meet and I met with Michelle and, you know, who's kind of running the day-to-day of like the company universal. And, you know, she was restructuring the center of the company and, you know, it was really important to her, um, you know, having previously been president of Sony music having, you know, had her own management and consulting company. Like she understood arts development. She understood what it took. And and she understood that, you know, we needed more resources and more focus there and uh, brought me in and kind of like allowed me to kind of give her a pitch of what I would do to change things. Cause I had a lot of ideas that I've been working on. I just never had the opportunity to execute them. And, um, and then that was the next part of the story. I ended up at universal six years ago and quickly started, you know, building out what would become 1824. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I do apologize because brevity is not my strength. So if at any point you need me to like, <laughs> no, people would yeah. love to hear this because it's, it's so cool to hear like the, you know, the business end of the whole thing and kind of how you got involved in that aspect instead of like, Oh, I'm in a band. And then I got signed to a label and we tore or whatever. Like it's the, that part of it is so fascinating. Well, I mean, that, you know, that early part of my career, it's really funny because like, in a way, I thought that because there were so many open doors at Universal when I arrived, like that's when my, that's when I really, you know, their career and the ideas really took off, you know, and I was like, I saw this, you know, this opportunity to really empower young people. Cause here's what a lot of people, here's what a lot of people don't understand. Right. You know, we, I, I was looking at the, you know, LinkedIn is like, I, I can't, I don't even know why I go on LinkedIn anymore. It's like, it's like you either <laughs> love it or you hate it, but it's like, you know, there are some cool, cool learnings there and some cool conversations. And I saw this like thread of, you know, should interns be paid or not paid? I'm like, obviously you pay them. And, you know, and I, and if you don't, if, if you're not, you know, and there's all this arguments about like, well, we're teaching them a trade. I think that idea of we're teaching them needs to go away. I think That's like if you're going, I think if you're going to run a successful career development program, you need to be learning as much from them as they are from you. Because like, especially in our industry, when, you know, every few years, something massively disruptive is going to happen. You can just schedule it, right? You know, whatever that may be. You know, if you're not listening to the people that are, that are, you know, inherently connected to culture that are outside of your building, that are living their life, you know, with, with their peers and, and, you know, you're not going, you're, you're going to miss things. And I feel also too, like when you look at the, the creative world, like videographers, editors, animators, you know, people that are, you know, like people that are doing amazing things through TikTok and, and Twitch, et cetera. You know, there are people like they didn't go to a trade school to learn that. They just did it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a team of like these amazing film school kids that go to some of the best schools in the country. And when you ask them how they learn to like make a music video, it was by watching YouTube tutorials. Right. And, and like, it, so I feel like you need, there's so much that you can learn that's out there. But like, I feel like you have to look at young people and put them in an opportunity and in a position to lead because you don't know everything. And, and if, if you're walk, if you're bringing people in as somebody you have to mentor, that's going to be a suck on your time. You're not looking at it the right way. You know, you have to look at someone who's 18, 19, 20, 21 years old coming into your company and whether it be for eight weeks or 25 years, starting a 25 year, 30 year career, 
that that is someone who's a leader right away. They know something that you don't. They are inherently connected to a culture you are trying to reach. So you need to empower them and position them to do so. And so that's where I always felt like internships, college marketing programs always fell short is that they were so promotion focused. They were so like, we're going to bring you in and teach you how we do business. Meaning right, meanwhile, right. the business is changing. Like, uh-huh. I mean, like for at Sony, the whole time I was at Sony music, like the house was on fire, you know I mean? There was that time like of the, of the music industry where, you know, it wasn't until like 2012 or so, whatever, we started seeing a plateauing of like the decline. Then start, we started seeing like sustained growth again. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if we're going to start growing as an industry, let's get it right this time. And um, so I really looked at the labels and where is money leaving the building? <clears throat> so it was like 2015 when I joined Universal, you know, where, what are the skill sets that we're kind of contracting out most often? And do I have an opportunity to bring amazing people that have those skill sets into the company and now, mm-hmm. and by way of do, by, uh, by doing that, you know, we, we're going to build careers, you know, and, and uh, so I kind of did an audit of every label, talked to every label head and, you know, content kind of came to the top all the time, you know? And um, so we quickly built this content vertical and it was two people, then it was 20. Then we were, we launched an iteration of the team in the UK. And then like, I realized, wow, like more than half of our work is this content creation now. So we, now we have like full-time resources. So we, you know, got clearance to bring in full-time people to help us run. And we built a royal production team at the center of the company, Universal, uh, with a specific lane, you know, music videos, lyric videos, day in the life stuff with the artists, like the flexibility and the speed to kind of like get a call at 10, be on set, you know, or, or at a venue by one, and then just like capturing content, editing it and telling story, like telling stories in, in live time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that was really, really important. So like once that kind of took off, it just opened the door to build all these different things because we'd prove, we'd proven with content that we're more than capable of like solving this need for the company, you know, like it was always going to be more work than we can handle, but you know, the work that we do is going to be quality. We're going to do a lot of it and we're going to build careers as a a result of it. Um, So uh you know, there's also somebody in our, our, our company, Jen Aguinaldo, who had been building this really great database that of creators and influencers that she had direct relationships with. So, you know, we really respected that and we started doing events with her and Wes was supporting. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we had like an influencer marketing team at the center of the company that, that was managing relationships with directly with the influencers. And, and I kind of adopted Jen and brought her over to my team. And, and there was that. And, um, and then, you know, Wes kind of pre-tated Jen on the team a little bit. I met Wes, and this is where the storyline gets a little bit out of chronological order. <laughs> uh, Wes and I met when Wes was right out of college. I had um, was managing a band that was based in Nashville. And um, they kept on telling me about their friend from high school that was doing all their, their graphics and their press. And he, he was like this guy in Nashville that knew everybody. And it was Wes, you know, and like Wes was like 23, 24 at the time. And so, you know, we worked together for a couple of years until the band kind of like disbanded and, you know, we always stayed in touch and we were, you know, we became really close friends as a result of that. And, and, you know, and we got this opportunity to have a full-time person in Nashville and, 
you know, at the time Wes, you know, I'll kind of turn it over to you in a second, you know, tell your story, but like he was doing this, um, you know, work with independent artists in Nashville and had built his own like kind of press, you know, he was a contributor to, uh, to a lot of different, you know, press outlets there. He was writing and kind of, <laughs> he was writing and pitching at the same time, which I thought was genius. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and doing, and kind of freelancing, doing some digital marketing. So when I, when I had an opportunity to add somebody in, in Nashville, it wasn't a hard choice. Like I already had like the right ideal candidate and the job was kind of built with Wes in mind. So, you know, fast forward, you know, Wes joins the company and there you are. And now we've got like 14 full-time people. We've got an amazing team in New York, which like does a lot of our programming. Cause we also do like events on college campuses and just mm-hmm. cool events in various markets around the country, which are, you know, just like conversations, live performances that we're just kind of working with lo- local partners to lock down. Um, but I think what's really interesting, what's really taking off, and I think the last six months of like 1824's growth, you can attribute a lot of that to Wes and what we're doing with press. I, you know, I'd love to turn it over to Wes to talk more about that because he can tell the story better than I can. I love it. I love it. Okay, so Wes, so you, you, you said earlier from Columbia, are you originally born and raised here in Nashville? Born and raised, man. Yeah, from Columbia, Tennessee, about an hour south of Nashville. And um, you, it's weird. It's like becoming a cool place now. And it was it, not. Dude, it is. It's building up. It, it's. I've talked to actually a handful of artists that are living there now, which is interesting. It's amazing. Like, it wasn't like the coolest place when I lived there growing up. Um, <laughs> but I was like an hour outside of Nashville. I would like, as soon as I got my driver's license, it was coming up here and going to shows. Um, and yeah, now it's like a really interesting place. And there's record stores and a music venue and more things happening there. Which They is- just opened a new venue too, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll tell you about it. <laughs> okay. So Columbia, Tennessee, it's the mule capital of the world. <laughs> right. The, and that's GM. Is GM there or is that yeah. Spring Hill? Yeah, okay. yeah Spring Hill, GM's there. Um, so <laughs> Columbia has Mule This, Mule That. Uh, their new venue is called the, oh my God, it's called like the Mule House, I think. Yeah, I think it's the Mule House. The Mule House, the Mule House. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, like, yo, these are my roots. Uh, <laughs> it's rooted in this hardworking, stubborn animal. Maybe I'm getting more from a hometown than I realized now that I'm <laughs> But yeah, I, that's how I started getting hooked on the music scene. Just coming up here when I was like 16, 17, going to these like DIY all ages shows. Um, you know, like the first venues I would go is now like a Domino's pizza, but like they were these, yeah, yeah. They were just like these really dope clubs. And I started interacting with the local scene. Um, and that's, were you a musician or just a a fan and you just go to watch shows? Yeah, I was a band kid for a minute. I played alto saxophone. I played uh, guitar, but I wasn't like in a band, you know, like I wasn't like that good. Um, I was like, hey, I think I'm okay writing. Like maybe I can get in the industry that way. Mm -hmm. So went to the University of Tennessee um, in Knoxville, started studying journalism, uh, digital communications, things like that. Got involved at WTK, the radio station. Oh, also a radio guy. Love it. Radio guy. <laughs> and like my dream was like, I want to write for Rolling Stone. And then sure. after a semester, I was like, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly realized I was like, okay, like I don't think 
journalism is totally the, the career route for me, but there's so many invaluable skills that I was learning through the program, through the radio station. My my internships were at music venues. So I was like, you know, going to class, doing the radio thing. Then I would hop over to the the clubs. um, And I did like early digital marketing for these small music venues. I would get a camera, record people. We would do interviews before the show. I would like quickly edit and post something on Facebook in hopes that this would attract people uh, to the shows and people would learn a little bit more about the artists they were about to see. So oh, it was that's learning. smart. So you would do it before, like hours before the show happened. Like, hey, this artist is playing tonight. You know, there's yes. still time to get tickets and show up. Wow, that's really smart. Thanks, man. It was really rudimentary. It's not like anything that our young creatives are doing today. But there's that line. You can see that line. Mm-hmm. So I was learning those skills, learning how like the live industry worked. Um, and I graduated in 2010. Boom. Okay. In the middle of the Great Recession. Uh, <laughs> not the best time. But I, I'm going to tell you, like a lot of my peers didn't have jobs at all. I lucked out. I got a job. Uh, it was corporate communications at a company called Farm Bureau Insurance. So it was like I ended up in the insurance industry, not the music industry. Interesting. Uh, and man, I got to say, it was like a great job in disguise, though. Like it was not me personality wise. I'm not like a shirt, tie, khakis kind of dude. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if anybody's just listening purely. But yeah, T-shirt, band T-shirt, jeans all day. Uh, But I was learning some cool stuff. I was learning motion graphics. I was doing motion graphics for football stadiums. I was doing radio commercials. I was doing digital analytics. Mm -hmm. Um, And man, I just was like, okay, these are great skills and all, but I, I never gave up on working in music. And I don't know, I was applying to jobs. Nobody would take an interview with me. No one would talk to me. I started driving, uh, I was living in Columbia at the time, and I started driving an hour to Nashville after work, so every single day. So it was like uh, working like 7 to 4.30, drive to Nashville, get there at 5.30, network, go to shows, take meetings, and then drive back at midnight and do it all over again. So like that was the thing. And um Honestly, like even after a couple of years of doing that, I didn't get those opportunities. I didn't get the door opened. So I was like, whatever, I'm going to open my own door. I had a mentor there, uh, the head of Farm Bureau Communications, Dan Beatty. He taught me entrepreneurship. He had ran his own company for 20 years and he gave me some really good advice. So I made the jump. I started my own company uh, in 20. 20- 11, I started getting it my feet wet and I started contributing to a blog in Nashville. The blog is a, it's like covering the non-country scene of Nashville. Mm -hmm. At that time, like it wasn't known that Nashville had things other than country music. This blog is called No Country for New Nashville. I love that. I moved here six months ago and I didn't know that. Like I, prior to moving here, I was like, this is just a country town. And then more interviews are doing like certain people that I would talk to like, I live in Franklin. I'm like, where the hell's that? Oh, it's in South of Nashville. Oh my gosh. Like that's so random and like cool. But yeah. And then I moved here and I would never guess it was not a country, not as much country town anymore. It's wild. It's it's still, you know, culturally, country music has done so much for the city. Sure. I mean, it's called Music City because of the Fisk Jubilee singers and the Queen of England uh, granted that name upon us when they heard the Fisk Jubilee singers. I mean, just a little history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and y'all can go look up the full story. It's great. Uh, but you know, in 2011, I was starting to do some blogging. I was writing about artists in the non-country scene and I was just getting involved. So in 2013, I'm like jumping into this business. I'm blogging, I'm networking, I'm taking on PR clients. That was about the time I met Todd too. We started co-managing the band together. Like Todd's doing, like to me, like I'm sitting in Columbia, Nashville, like, oh, Todd, major label dude, like making right. moves. And I'm just like this <laughs> scrappy kid and I'm figuring it out. And I'm like, I'm booking shows, I'm doing PR, um, I'm figuring out like the marketing and the digital and all that good stuff. Um, by 2014, I went full-time into my own business. So started the whole thing up. Um, and through the blog, I got Polestar uh, nominee club of the year, uh, Mercy Lounge. So clients, yes. So I got, if you're not familiar, it's uh, three music venues under one roof, Mercy Lounge, Cannery Ballroom, and the High Watt. I started marketing all their shows. It was about 800 events a year. They have so many bands that come through there constantly. So many, so many. Um, We need our independent venues. Uh, it's, It's essential to the health of our local and national music scene really all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, Mercy Lounge is my favorite venue ever. So I got to have this dream client. I started working all their shows. Um, And then on the PR end, I started working with more independent artists. I would, you know, do EP, album, tour press. And very quickly, I started doing single campaigns as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I took on Red Bull as a client doing like some of their music events. Um, and things just started popping. Like every year I started growing. Then in 2015, I looked around, I like looked at the pop scene here. Like people, I was like, people like pop music here, but they don't have a place to connect. So I started a pop community in Nashville called Pop Squad. So artists could connect with other artists. Artists can connect with industry and artists can connect with fans. So I was building communities, throwing warehouse parties, pitching artists, marketing shows. Um, it was like a really hustle season, but it was like, it was so meaningful to connect with so many different folks. Um, the PR campaigns were mostly like uh, pop Indian Americana artists. And I was really grateful to have support of uh, publications like American Songwriter, um, like NPR Music, like Consequence of Sound. Um, but man, running your own business is tough. Like it, it, it wears on you after a while. I was looking for community. I was looking for more mentorship as far as giving mentorship and also receiving it. Um, and I was just looking for a team to contribute to. I was always really curious about this major label world being independent for so long. And, uh, one day in 2018, Todd rings me up, um, and I distinctly remember I'm at the Kroger on the East side for all y'all Nashville's people that know, <laughs> uh, sitting in the, I was standing in the cat food aisle and Todd said, Hey, I'm building this thing. Um, I have you in mind, um, for this role. I have it loosely outlined, but I know you'll figure it out. Do you want to do it? I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like hard. Yes. Because it was the easiest, it was the easiest conversation I ever had. What Wes is leaving out was, I think it was two weeks prior to that. Uh, oh. for- <laughs> So Frank uh, Hill's like my, he's kind of like my right-hand guy, you know, based here in LA with me. And um, we, 
we're in the process of getting approval for this Nashville position. And I was like, you know, we need to get Wes out like to hang out and just so like, and, and uh, so you can get to know him. Wes had no idea we were just connecting, but he had no idea that during that time he was actually being kind of soft like interviewed. It was very big. That's very much it. how I, I often recruit, but like, uh, like Wes is like, uh, you know, I remember calling me like, dude, you did great in the interview. He's like, what interview? <laughs> I can't even, I can't. It was the best interview ever. They were asking me all these questions. Like, like, who do you know? What are you doing? Like what's happening here on the ground? Like, tell me everything. And of course I'm like, yeah, da da da. like this person's doing this and this person's doing this. And I get to work with them by doing this. Mm-hmm. It was connecting all those dots. And that's how I knew I was like, oh, wow, this is, I'm joining something really special here with some really special people. So I started it up in uh, 2018, um, working at what be, would be 1824. And this has literally been the dream job. It took eight years after graduation for a music company to hire me for a job. I joke, I had clients. Don't get me wrong. I had clients. <laughs> it's different though. Um, and man, I, I wake up not taking it for granted every single day. Sure. I want to real quick. I'm, I've, a question on you did a, a beer with the struts. <laughs> I, did, I did. So Todd had this idea for culture marketing as a role. Uh-huh. And I define it as connecting artists to culturally impactful organizations, brands, individuals, or nonprofits. So mm-hmm. one of my directives that I gave myself, I was like, yo, I want to connect to the craft beer community and found out struts love beer. They're amazing mm-hmm. rock band. Um, their management is based in Nashville. I love this beer uh, brewery company. It's called Southern Grist. They're award-winning. I'm a huge fan. Uh, so I brought them together. The idea was to get the struts in. They did a brewery tour. Uh, the Southern Grist guys showed them how they made beer. And then they had a conversation. Like they were figuring out like, oh, like how do you pick your songs, mm-hmm. uh, your song titles? And the guys were like, oh, like we just like kind of throw stuff at the wall. And then, you know, we pick on it the next day. And the brewery guys were like, oh my God, like we do the same with our beer names. And it was overlapping the creative processes from these different mediums. Mm-hmm. So what we did, we did the tour. There was that experience. We filmed everything. And then we launched it at a sold out show in Nashville. And then we that created rad. like a mini doc of it. And that was one of the earliest examples that I got to do, uh, bringing art and music uh, and creativity from different mediums together. That's so cool. I'm those, those are my boys, the struts. I actually got a chance to, I was the first person to play them in the country and we pioneered oh, them like, yeah, in, in San Diego. And they were supposed to, they, their first show ever in the US, like their first like proper show was in San Diego. And we got them to, they were supposed to play like the little small room at House of Blues, which is like a hundred people. It's called the Voodoo Lounge. Mm-hmm. And we were put, pushing them so hard that it sold out like the day of, and they moved into the big room. And then we ended up getting them to sell out the, the main room. So their first show in, in the United States was sold out like a, uh, 1200 people at the House of Blues in San Diego which was crazy. And yeah, they recently got a gold record. So I, I got like a plaque, my first ever plaque. And it was like, it was a huge day. Like it was like, 
I like love those guys to death. <laughs> oh, you know, they're thing, so good. They're those so guys good. are amazing. We, you know, every year we have this big, like kind of annual get together and obviously the pandemic has disrupted that like a lot of things, but mm-hmm. you know, we'll look to bring it back in 2022. Like we literally every year, you know, when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic, we fly our entire staff, you know, we've got 85 part-time compensated employees and wow. students. And we fly them all into LA or New York. It alternates every year. And like, we have like 30 artist performances, like executive presentations. They get to present to the executives. And like, it's like, it's like this ultimate, like, you know, it's kind of our own kind of South by Southwest slash hackathon with like, you know, our, our staff. And uh, I remember like, what one of those early years it was like interscope was like we're gonna bring the struts and you know you can imagine you know when you're doing like 12 hour days and that's like i mean you know these days are long you start in the morning you go till night and then everybody hangs out and Mm -hmm. and uh just like any other festival right so i mean the energy was kind of like waning towards like the, the end of the conference and so they strategically put the struts last and it just like I mean, blew it, it blew everybody back <laughs> up and just reanimated everybody. That band was just incredible. And I, and I will say, like, I think we have to commend Wes on the amount of research it must have taken to figure out that a rock band liked beer. But uh, oh, yeah. so long, <laughs> nice work. so long. Seriously, nice work. Oh, I didn't know if their fans would either. It was pretty risky. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, they're so cool, and like the sound that they have is just so like the net they can cast is so huge. Because you'll if you go to their show, you'll see people in their like. 60s to their you know 14 15 years old it's just so the spectrum is so massive on their fan base it's so true they have this song called kiss this so the beer was called kolsch this oh, okay really clever uh we collaborated on the album like that i call it the album artwork but it looked like it was like the beer artwork we collabed on everything yeah it looks um, it looks similar to uh that their their record that came out the yeah. u.s release of uh, that album. Yeah. Uh, our Southern Chris was like really generous with like, you know, like the, and we got, we got taken care of. Right. So I remember like, they, <laughs> like I think Southern Chris became the unofficial sponsor of my karaoke birthday party that year. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, that is so cool. So you guys are working on like the, you're getting like young, like, tell me about, cause you have like college students, like you're, you're bringing in a lot of people, right. That are kind of these ground. Yeah. You type. know, it's a great question. And I think like, because like at first when you look at it, like you automatically think, well, this could be really chaotic. You know, you've got like a hundred people that are all, that all have these different skill sets. How do we all tie? And they're all together? young, right? Like not yeah, really. Like- I mean, we've got some, you know, the, the full-time staff, like, you know, myself, Wes, like we got some pretty seasoned people that, you know, understand their vertical and they're kind of running those verticals. But the way we've, we've really structured it kind of like an in-house creative solutions team. Like it's an agency in, in a sense that you got content, you've got influencer and creator marketing and partnerships. You've got, um, events and you've got press, which I'd love West to expand on like how we actually run that in a little bit. And, um, you know, then you've got kind of more gen- a general approach to just like promotion and, and making sure that we're getting artists in front of people. So like looking for every opportunity to localize an artist, right? Like mm-hmm. an artist is coming through Nashville, they're coming through Columbus, Ohio, if they're coming through Kansas City, Missouri, depending on what side you're on. Like, what do we do with them in those three hours they have 
free in that market before a show. Mm -hmm. Like what's going to be the most impactful thing that we do for Wes? The band had a day off. Let's take him to Southern Grizz. Let's create a beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. So it could be like any number of those kind of things. They're just getting them in front of people in a very organic way. Mm. Because like, you know, in a streaming world, like your marketing plan cannot be, you know, relying on the partners to playlist you. I mean, that that obviously is extremely impactful, but it doesn't necessarily cut through the clutter. You know, you still need to have an approach to connect your artists directly with fans. And that's really what we focus on. So, you know, all of these various verticals under 1824, you know, the main ones, content, creative partnerships, um, events. We have, um, you know, another, you know, uh, Asia Howard and our team, for example, is doing amazing work uh, in the community with some, you know, social justice initiatives. And we like she's partnered with our uh, company's task force for meaningful change and kind of is co-chairing a division called Youth Task Force for Meaningful Change. Um, so like we like we're, we're doing, you know, a lot in the community as well. So all of these different things that we do. Like basically, we're taking these 85 part-time employees who have been hired based on their unique skill sets, and they're basically becoming the workforce for each of these individual verticals. And the result of that since 2016 is that we've placed 100 of them into full-time positions in the industry. 70 of them have been retained at UMG alone. Wow. And it comes down to how we're hiring them because I think like, I don't like, I hate the word internship. You know, and right. I'm not against internships. They have their value, but it's not what I do. Uh, you know, and, and it's not a college rep program. I, I respect what Warner and Sony do, but that's not what we do. We are running, you know, um, uh, an in-house creative solutions team. Like we're we're doing extremely actionable work. Like so, when when they, you know, it's not like they're coming to us to promote a music video. They're coming to us to create the music video. You mm -hmm. know, like we are, you know, like I like to say, like at some point, you know, there's people that commission things, there's people that do things. We're kind of doing both, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're like, we're actually creating the art, you know? So when it comes to like, you know, music videos or, or like, instead of like saying, let's just go out and hire an agency for our creator partnerships and influencer marketing campaign, we can just call them directly. Right. You know? Why? When you can do it yourself. Or to Wes's point, let's run a, let, let's run a press, like a kind of like a, um, kind of like a more granular local non-traditional press campaign mm -hmm. like Wes is like I have that covered you know we I in Wes why don't you talk about your team and how you structured it because I think it's extremely unique and and also like the one thing that Wes really pulled together which I, I love is like this these press conferences that we're doing with artists like a few every week actually and those are always like a lot of fun and they're also they kind of like you know, it's a global audience of, 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 of uh, you know, writers, et cetera. So Wes, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think it's genius. I I'd love to, man. I mean, like Todd, you touched on something like meaningful art and culture is being created in places outside of industry towns, like New York, Nashville, Atlanta, and LA. Okay. Like meaningful culture and art is being created in places like Austin, Portland, Denver, Seattle, Detroit, Athens, Georgia, Salt Lake city, like, the industry isn't consolidated there, but we still have to be present in those places. Like we have a really impressive spread of like 85 part-time staff around the country, but there are still places we need to reach without a person being there. So after like thinking about that and, and looking at that like thought and strategy, like we saw a big opportunity for a PR team to build relationships with local media. 
And look, like 18 to 24 year olds aren't just in student media. Like I love my college radio experience and it was invaluable. Okay. But people are doing college radio, but they're also doing print zines. They're creating blogs. They're doing YouTube channels. They're doing curated social accounts. They're making podcasts. Like this generation is the best generation of storytellers that we're going to have. Like, I firmly believe that. So we get to engage them. Like someone, a label or a PR agency, I mean, they're working 60, 70 hours a week and they're focused on late night. They're focused on major outlets. They may miss out on this next generation. So the strategy that when I came in was to start building relationships and start training this new generation of publicists. And I trained them on building relationships and being kind, being grateful, um, being intentional. Because so many of these people, like, you know, when you're running, when you're 20 years old, you're running a zine, you're not making money off that. We're very lucky for anybody to spend time with our artist. You know, so it's like place, it's just that behavioral thing. Um, and then from there, um, it's setting like, okay, like what are we doing for our outlets? We're going to be giving access to artists they may not have otherwise. We're going to provide resources, like hooking them up with conversations with people who have been in the industry as far as the media industry. Uh, people like Todd Burns from Music Journalism Insider, who's over You Discover Music. We've brought in speakers. We've done interview workshops. Um, and we're also building community among our media outlets. We're introducing them to each other um, and connecting them to each other. You know, like people can swap writers. They can figure out those pain points. Uh, when you're working alone, you get stuck. That was one thing that I learned. And I don't want these media outlets to deal with that. I want them to have each other. So that was the next step. Okay. Like first training our, our PR reps to building a community and treating them as a community with respect and giving them resources. And then the third thing was like building this offering that Todd talked about the pandemic happened. We were doing like one-on-one -on -one interviews, interviews at shows, things like that. We were setting up coverage that way. Well, everything pivoted to Zoom and we're like, wait a minute. Um, our senior director, Frank Hill, even originated with the idea. It's like, what if we did like press junkets, press conferences? So I was like, oh yeah, like let's chase that. So we rolled out a new offering of Zoom press conferences, virtual press conferences. And the idea is to get multiple outlets on one Zoom we get like a conversation flow together. We get questions together um, and we get the artists for about an hour and we moderate it. We produce it. We call on people to ask questions. So they get direct interaction with the artist. And it's been a massive success. Like if you can get 10, 20, sometimes a hundred outlets that are small together, you can get access to those larger artists. Um, one of our, big first successes was actually Katy Perry that capital believed in the idea, sent it to her and she was all about it. And she That's spoke huge. to more huge spoke to more than a hundred media outlets. That's that crazy. Day. Yeah. Answered questions from, you know, 21, 22 year olds that were incredibly thoughtful that were coming from the Gen Z perspective um, that, you know, like the today show is not going to come at 
the same yeah, viewpoint. The right. Today Show has its place, but it's just a different, uh, you know, audience. But yeah, I was going to say the 1824 demo is like the hardest one to crack. Yeah. Because they're not going to like before it was probably coming off from radio. It's like you go to the radio station. Your new artist is going to go to the radio station. They're going to play in the conference room to, you know, you know, the, the PD and the music director and what, whoever else is just like floating around the building. And we're going to try to get their record on the air. But now it's so much different where it's like our 18 to 24 year olds even listening to the radio. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's the place. And with streaming numbers and how do you get these people that maybe aren't getting radio play, but have millions of streams online, get them in front of their audience. And like, it's just such a different world nowadays. It is. I mean, we're all about connecting artists to fans and look like you don't start a zine or a music blog. If you're not a fan, like right. I'm still doing my blog on the weekend is a hobby and look, it's a meaningful thing. And we've gotten to connect artists like, Youngblood, John Batiste, K Camp, Still Woozy, Parker McCollum, like all these incredible artists from all different genres in our labels directly mm -hmm. with fans. And these people, again, they're, like, they're not just radio, uh, college radio folks. Like some of these people are TikTok creators. They have right. audience. Some of the people who attend make playlists that have tens of thousands of followers and they're 20 years old, <laughs> you know? Like it's, it's so sick, Adam. And, and that's a meaningful thing. At the end of the day, we are building a better music industry. We are uplifting creativity and we're valuing viewpoint and creativity sometimes over like years of experience, you know, mm -hmm. like they're still valid and they still belong in the room, physical or vi uh, virtual, even if they're 18, 22, 24. Yeah. And I love that you, it's such a, it's almost like back to the early days of, you know, finding artists and like, the, like the, no one's really developing talent anymore. Right. I would, it's like, you're more looking at numbers like, okay, like a Warner brothers is going to go, Oh, this person has X million streams and has been playlisted this many times. Like maybe we should give them a shot or they have a TikTok song that blew up. Like let's give them a shot. Like, I feel like that's, you have more of like the ground people, like foot soldiers that a lot of the big labels like, aren't doing. I think like, honestly, um, just still developing talent, just how we develop it has been redefined. Right. I feel like, yeah. you know, that, like, you know, developing and having a successful artist these days is a culmination of a lot of different things. Um, you know, it's your streaming numbers, your streaming story, you know, how, are you getting editorial support? Are, are you, are fans, you know, do they have a lean forward? Like, are they actually searching you out on the streaming services and, and play playlisting you on their own? You know, then you've got TikTok, which is like become like a monster. It's probably leading in music discovery right now. In mm -hmm. fact, it is. Um, and you know, with TikTok, but it's a 40, it's it's almost like you know, you look at movies and trailers, right? You know, like you, you see an amazing trailer that gets you excited for a movie. So does that discovery on TikTok then lead you to a funnel where you're now streaming it on a streaming service? Uh, and that's always been the same thing with YouTube too. Like, you know, telling a visual story to a song is more important than ever. So it's just like, you got to have an engaged YouTube audience. You got to have an, you got to be playing in TikTok. Even if you as an artist are not comfortable posting on your own, you're going to be doing everything to maximize the use of your song on the platform. And then there's like the streaming services, right? So it's all of that together. Um, but, you know, 
we're seeing, you know, when it comes to like A&R, for example, it's more data-driven than ever because, and it's, it's actually allows us to be smarter and more intentional on how we're bringing artists into the company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you know, because the data is already there, fans are already reacting, but like, you know, it also means that the kind of importance of having a foundation is more important than ever because you can have a massive TikTok moment and, you know, TikTok is like TikTok as a discovery platform isn't about arts development. It's about soundtracking people's lives and, and, and moments and, and this and that. And, uh, and you're fighting for that kind of visibility on the platform. But I think what, what, what you see is that is like bands will have a massively successful track on TikTok. You know, it leads to great consumption. Maybe it leads to a gold record, a major label deal, you know, sold out tours, et cetera. What happens with the next track? You know, right. I mean, it's like it, it, that's never going to be guaranteed to have the same viral moment because we at a rec, at, at music companies, record labels, um, we don't get to de- determine what goes viral. Right. That is 100 <laughs> percent driven by fans and, and people on the platform. You know, so all we can do is put our artist in the best opportunity to be discovered uh and i think that is what we try to do and then once that like while that's happening you know before the viral moment happens before and you know we talked about radio is radio important or is it not important radio is still important in the sense that it is definitely still the difference between a major hit and a hit right Mm -hmm. if you're getting played on every radio radio station in the country that is a massive hit right i mean of course radio still definitely matters it just matters in a different way and so I feel like uh, there's more a part of the component. They're not necessarily leading the campaign anymore, but still important. So I think you, you just got to look at the industry as like, you know, you've got to be thinking about all these different things. It's a, it's, it's a way more complicated industry, but at the same time, it's a lot easier because you have more data that you can look at. You can like track things a little bit easier and predict a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, you know, that idea of what Wes is doing, what we're trying to do at 1824, where you take a developing artist before all this happens and build a strong foundation. So when it does happen, you know, it's like you just pour gas on it and it kind of goes, Right. you know, you know, the fact that like the artist has put in the work six months, a year of work to meeting people to, you know, interacting directly with them, you know, and I, and I think like one of the best case studies is like this artist, Youngblood, Oh yeah. Who, who, uh, you know, is based in the UK signed, you know, to, to the Interscope family, which is one of our labels, UMG, like he did so much work to build a community. And now that things are kind of really popping for him and he's getting the major festivals and this and that, like he already had the base, you know, mm-hmm. like he, if, if all of that goes away tomorrow, he has people that believe in him, that love him, that have, that have like, that will go out of their way to defend him and fight for him. Like that didn't just happen. He put in months and months and years of, you know, a couple of years of work. I mean, like literally guy would get up, you know, get off the tour bus. First thing he did was go talk to fans. Mm-hmm. First thing he did was go hug a fan and thank them personally for showing up. Like, yep that still matters. And I think I would argue it matters now more than ever because there's so much competition. So you're all, if, if that's who you are, if you're authentically somebody that appreciates people that are supporting you, let them know. And, and I think like, you know, and, and Wes will tell you like Youngblood has, we've touched that artist on every single level. Level We've 
produce content for him. We've had him as part of our press conferences. We've done the creator campaigns and he's always been down for it. And I, re I even remember I was like, just randomly, he was playing in Germany when I was there at this executive summit. And I made everybody go to the show that night and he took time to meet every single person. He's so, so cool. Yeah. I mean, so like, I, I feel like just providing the platform for those kind of artists to be authentically their best selves and, and just and, and make sure we're putting them in front of people that want to get to them. I feel is a big part of what we do. I feel yeah. like he's not very rock star. Like he is a rock star, but he's not, like you said, he'll go and talk to people. He, when I was working at the radio station, we did like a broadcast from Coachella every year on this, like this house outside of Coachella. And he wasn't even playing the festival, but he was there working people, talking to the radio stations. And he came to our like place and he's just like cruising through, talking to everybody, you know, just being so nice and t taking pictures. He took a picture with my kids, like, just so cool. And then he ended up handcuffing himself to like our afternoon DJ when he was and he, made him, and he made him play like tambourine when he was playing. Like he did a couple like acoustic songs. It was just so funny. Like he was just you knew that he was going to be a star, like just his like mentality, like being around him. Like this guy is such cool energy. And, you know, that he, there's something special about him. There really yeah. is. There really is. And it's interesting, like even outside of developing artists, like we're also developing future label executives. We're developing mm -hmm. writers, future journalists. We're developing podcast hosts and people who run fandoms. Like we're investing in the whole ecosystem rather than like just a really narrow part. Because at the end of the day, like it takes a lot of different people to make things happen. I mean, if you just look at fans, like fans know what they're doing. They're building communities on Discord and Twitter and Reddit. They're hosting listening parties. They're creating fan art that is every bit is good is like an official artwork. And we're even we're looking at those people and we're like, OK, how do we connect them to artists or even or how do we recruit them for a job at 1824 or how do we place them in a job at a label? Or just sometimes it's like, how do we help these people just answer some general questions about the industry? How do we be a resource and how do we build something that was even better for tomorrow than it is today? Mm -hmm. And that, the other thing about that too is like the way our staff differs too is like we might hire somebody that's coming out of high school or they're right in their middle of their freshman year. When we hire them, like it's not like there's no end date, you know, they're work, they're all of a sudden working for us year round you know, uh, multiple years. And, you know, if they're, if they're strong enough to like make it through like two and a half, three years working on our team, you know, they're, they're already prepared for the next step of their career. So like we view it as them starting, like the second we hire somebody, we're, we're, they're starting their career. It's not like, let's try this music thing out in college and see if it works or not. Like the kind of candidates we're looking for, like there is no plan B. That's how I right. was. That's how Wes was. And like, I mean, look, I'm not against a plan B makes sense. I get it. It's just, I never had one, you know what I mean? Like I, I was like, I was always going to do music and that was, that was it. And I feel like you have to have that kind of commitment to it. If you're going to make it in this industry, especially when you're young and everybody, cause like there, there, there aren't a ton of ways to get in the music industry. You're either an intern, you're working for 1824, you're working for a program at Sony or Warner and, or, or, you know, somebody and you got to start your own thing. <laughs> so we gotta start, 
but that honestly, that's the best way to do it. Being an entrepreneur, starting your own team, and then having the having the, the labels invest in what you've already built. That's another way to do it. Very few people can do that, but the ones that do it, I, I commend them. And I think it's amazing. Um, but a lot of people obviously think too, it's about, you know, who they know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the best advice I ever got, you know, when I was like young and it was like something my, one of my old bosses said all the time is that it's not, a, it's not about who you know. And I, he would just pause there and be like, it's about who knows you. And I think that's the most important thing. If you're a student, if you're somebody young who's looking to be in the industry, you know, you can say, you know, a lot of people, you can build a database of people that you've reached out to or had one conversation with. It's how do you follow up with that person who are like out of that hundred, who are the five that you've actually built a relationship with that when something opens up, they're going to think of you and call you. What are you doing to put yourself in a position to be recommended? Because if you're not putting yourself in a position to be recommended, if people don't know you and don't think about you, it doesn't matter. You know, like I know a lot of people, you know, it's oh. the people that, that call me on my birthday that matter the most. Right. So Wes, call me on my birthday. But uh, like, I, I, I think <laughs> like, it's, about, it's about who knows you, you know, and, and I feel like people need to be authentic and intentional at the same time with how they build relationships with people. Because, you know, I, you know, sometimes I feel really bad because I get a ton of like, you know, outreach on LinkedIn and people email me directly because it's not hard to figure out, you know, somebody at a major label's email address. <laughs> and I want to be as accommodating as I can. But at the end of the day, I only have 24 hours a day. I have to prioritize. I try to involve my staff as much as possible, but it's the people that I just like kind of stick at it or they, or what they write just cuts through like, wow, that hit me. I'm talking to this person or they, they, they had a, a problem that I know how to solve, you know, like, um, that I feel like I can provide, I may not hire them, but I can provide immediate value by fixing something or, or taking five minutes to explain something to them. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I respond to. And because I, I remember I, I had one of my mentors said, do favors for people. You know, so he's someone who's extremely successful building an independent label. And, and, and I always remember that, like do favors for people, you know, because it's like at the end of the day, I wouldn't be here if people didn't do favors for me. I wouldn't be here if people didn't think of me when a job opened up. Like I never interviewed for that job in New York. I never interviewed for the job that I got in Atlanta. Somebody called me and told me they wanted me to do that job. And, uh, you know, and uh, even at Universal, I was the only candidate, you know, and because I've been recommended by three people that I built relationships with in the past. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that uh, is, um, you know, it's crucial when you're looking, when you're young and you're looking to build a career, you know, you really got to develop your skill sets. You want to be bringing value to the company right away. You want to identify the things that you already do that you think that are filling skill set gaps in a company. Another really good friend of mine always said, um, anticipate a need and fill it. And like, I love that advice as well. Like, look at where the gaps are and mm-hmm. focus on the gaps. You know, like that's something I think that enough people don't do. And then like, as you're building relationships, follow up the right way. Don't let too much time go by. Don't get offended if it takes somebody two weeks to get back to you. It's a busy world and people have to prioritize. But if you follow up the right way, people will get back to you. And eventually, you know, you'll, you'll be on your way. But it, it, it takes time. It takes commitment. You know, it, you, you have to learn to deal with like discouragement and defeat at times. But defeat is temporary. 
you know, if your defeats become like a win down the road, it's ultimately a victory. And you have to look at, you know, your career in that light. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's my advice. If there's anybody that's going no, that's, to be, you know, that's amazing. Cause I was that my last question I was going to ask you is if you have any advice for aspiring artists or people that want to get into this industry and you just answered it beautifully. <laughs> so I don't know, Wes, do you have anything to add? I do. I do. Cause Todd did the inspirational, I'll give you just some specifics. Okay. Um, I love that's like always our tag team. Todd goes like inspirational and I'm like, <laughs> all right, details, details, details. Um, <laughs> So there's a few things, like one thing that the pandemic did do, like a lot of people opened up resources, music industry people started providing resources and talking about how to do things and how they do things. So there's a few places uh, to plug into that. I mean, like, yeah, like there's the 1824 Instagram. What we do though, every Tuesday we book an AMA. It's an ask me anything where we host an industry professional creator sometimes artists talking about their careers. So it provides resources. Um, there's another organization called the Digilog. They provide resources. They've got a Discord channel. They do speaking events from uh, agents, label folks, publishers, like the whole industry. They're providing like that knowledge and value. And another one is called She Is The Music. So they actually... Uh, support women in music, be it through producers, songwriters, artists, or like people working in the industry. Like these, these other organizations, they're providing that. So I want to like direct people to that. And then once you get plugged into them, I think you'll up your game 